Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. All right, why don't you grab your Bibles with me or your phone? however you read your Bible. And we're going to read a declaration. I love reading this declaration before we get into the Word because it sets our hearts and our intent on the Word of God. Amen. We don't just passively read. We read to learn, digest, be able to just have that Word marinate in us so that we can then apply it to our lives. Amen. Let's read this together. I love my Bible. I believe that it is the Word of God. I believe I am who He says I am. I believe in its power to transform my life. I know that God will meet me in these pages. My heart is open to receive and I boldly declare I will never be the same. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, so if any of you have been here the last few times that I've spoken, I've been doing a series on the Beatitudes and we have been going through, um, you know, just to mess with people's heads, we kind of jumped right in at the middle instead of the beginning. Um, And so we have covered Matthew 5, 5 through 7. So we've spoken about blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And then we spoke about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then last time we covered blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so tonight we are going to be looking at this, or tonight, this morning, uh, we are going to be looking at this scripture, Matthew 5 verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who wants to see God in this place? Yeah. If we love Jesus, like our hands, our feet, they should all be raised, right? We want to see God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just wait until I die and get to heaven to see God. I want to see God right here, right now. And if the Bible is giving me a roadmap on how to do that, I'm all ears. In fact, I'm not only all ears, I am intently studying and trying to figure out how do I get to see God in the right here and the right now. So we're going to talk about that this morning. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He's speaking specifically to this beatitude and he said, Christ was dealing with men's spirits with their inner and spiritual nature. He did this more or less in all the Beatitudes, but this one strikes at the very center of the target. As he said, not blessed are the pure in language or the pure in action, much less blessed are the pure in ceremonies or in clothing or in food, but blessed are the pure in heart. See, religion will try to tell us that blessed are those who are pure in language and action. But it goes so much deeper. Relationship with God says, blessed are the pure in heart. And I don't know about you, but I want to figure this out. I want to break this down and I want to study this and I want to get this into my life. Because I guarantee when we see God, not only are we changed, but the world around us is changed. You cannot see God and remain the same. You simply can't. 
And so for the sake of reference, I read from the New King James Version and the ESV. I kind of interchanged the two, uh, but I said this last night, the best translation of the Bible is the one you'll read. (laughs) Now, granted, there are a couple of translations out there that are a little bit dodgy, and I would say don't go that direction. But for the most part, if you stick to the mainstream ones, if you're going to read it, that's the best translation for you. I love the Passion Translation and the Message Translation. They are good companions to the Bible that you read. I love those, but anything, the ESV, the NIV, the NLT, the NASB, all of them, they're good. If you'll read it and if you'll apply it to your life, then that's the best translation for you to study. Amen? Amen. Okay, so when I'm looking at this passage, this scripture, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, two words specifically stick out to me because they are the cause and effect of this scripture. And those two words are pure and see. If you have a pure heart, you will see God. So those two words are our cause and effect. And so we're gonna break those down a little bit this morning. We're gonna kind of get into the study of what those words mean in the Greek, and it's gonna be fun. It's like you're all going back to school, right? Who loved school? I could not put my hand up for that, but I appreciate it now. Okay, so let's start. The first word is pure. And in the Greek, that word is katharos. I want you to say that with me so I'm not the only one butchering the Greek language. Say katharos. Well done. Okay, at its essence, this word means clean. It means pure. And we see throughout the Bible that this word is used three times, specifically in three different senses, in the physical sense, in the Levitical sense, and in the ethical sense. And so we're gonna dive into that. That's gonna be what creates the body of this message that we're gonna be speaking about. That is what does it mean to live with a pure heart? So when we go back and we read these and we go through the physical, when we go through the Levitical and we go through the um, ethical, that is gonna be what does it look like for you and I? Because sometimes the how, do we get it? And the why are just as important as each other, amen? It's no good listening to it and thinking, oh yeah, that's a great idea, but not ever knowing how to apply it to our lives. Okay. I think it's important for us to understand the context in which certain words are biblically used so that we can grasp the depth of understanding and create frameworks in how to apply it to our lives. Okay, we're gonna move on. We're gonna just put a pin in that for a moment and we're gonna move on to this word see. I don't know about you, but I like to know things. Like I'm just curious, right? I'm like, what does it mean to see God? Do you all ever think that? Do you ask those questions? Like I ask these questions that I read in the Bible and I'm like, man, that does not make sense to me. Or I'm gonna need some more details on that God. And this is one of those, I'm gonna need some more details. Like what does this mean? Does God in bodily form just show up in front of me? Is that what it means that I get to see God? Do I go into heaven and I'm like worshiping up in heaven before the throne of God and I see God with my spiritual eyes? What does it mean to see God? And so let's look at this word see. In the Greek, it means opotonomai. Yeah, I know. 
I thought it was kind of funny too. Opotonomai. I think it doesn't just roll off the tongue, does it? But Okay, it's a word and it's interesting to me because it's exactly what you think it means. But it's also what you may not know it means as well that I think is the most interesting part of this word. I, um, I was never really good at school. And um, I think from seventh to 12th grade, consistently in every single trimester on my report card was Renee is easily distracted. <laughs> I tried to tell my parents that I should at least get points for consistency. Um, they didn't really see it that way. But I got through school by the skin of my teeth. I just wasn't that interested. They were common quotes, Renee just has her head in the clouds. I was like, yeah. I, I kind of do. And so when I started um, applying for jobs after school, I ended up, this is pre-Christian, so don't judge. Um, <laughs> I ended up getting all of these jobs that I was not qualified for. And my dad said that it was because I had the gift of the gab. I don't know if that's like an expression you use here in America, but he said I had the gift of the gab. And so I would talk my way into people hiring me. Um, and then I would go and frantically try to learn what it was that I said I could do. <laughs> Story of my life. And so I figured this out. And I, one day I got hired as a book publisher. And that was my career before I became uh, a pastor and in full-time ministry is I was a book publisher, which is the running joke of my family because I don't think I read a book until I was out of school. <laughs> um, so it's just kind of like that was a miracle, a miracle. And so I got this job and I'm like, man, I better figure out English. <laughs> I better figure this out. And so I did this crash course and I'm like, what are sentence structures? What is English grammar? What does it mean to speak in tenses and in voices? And I began to educate myself on the nuances of English grammar. And... Um, the reason that I bring this up is because if we understand not just English grammar, but Greek grammar as well, then this passage of Scripture means so much more than we can ever put into the English language. And what do I mean by that? Why does it even matter? It matters because this word has a middle voice. See, in the English, we only have two voices. We have active and passive. But in the Greek language, they have three voices, active, middle, and passive. And so this word right here, this word see, is used in a middle voice. And the middle voice denotes that the subject is both an agent of action and somehow concerned with the agent. You're like, Renee, this is so boring. Just tell me what this means. Okay, well, I'm glad you asked. Quite simply, it means that this word see is not only talking about the author, but it is also talking about the subject. Now, who is the author of this scripture? God. Jesus preached this as the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So it's Jesus preaching. And who is the subject? Us. Those with a pure heart. It's us. So God is the author. We are the subject. And so here is what it means. It means that blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But not only will they see God, but God will see them. God will see them. And you might be saying, Renee, I learned in Sunday school that God sees me all the time. 
Yes, that is true. But isn't there a difference between being willing to be seen and hiding? Like my kids play hide and seek and I can see them because quite honestly, they're five and their hiding spaces are kind of lame. (laughs) I see them, but they don't want me to see them, right? And I'm walking around the house like, then they're right there and I'm like, I wonder where they could be. Sometimes that's what we're like, isn't it? In our Christian walk, we're kind of like, don't look at that part of me, God. And he's like, well, I see it. I mean, but there's a difference between saying, here I am. Here I am, God, see me. See me. So by having a pure heart, we are allowing ourselves to be seen by God and he is allowing himself to be seen by us. This level of vulnerability both by us but more mind-blowing by him is what creates intimacy. It's the greatest form of intimacy to be seen and known. To be seen and known. There are three different Greek words for this word see that we have rolled into one in the English language. And the first is this. It means to simply voluntarily observe. Like when you're watching a TV show or when you're watching a sports match or when you're maybe coming to church, you're voluntarily observing something. That is not the word that is used in this passage. The second meaning is mechanical, passive or casual vision. Perhaps something taking place in your peripheral. So when I'm cooking dinner or I'm cleaning and folding laundry and my kids are playing, although let's be honest, they're fighting in the background. (laughs) I mean, out of the corner of my eye, I see movement and I kind of am aware of what's happening, right? It's in my peripheral. I casually will glance up to make sure no one's being murdered. And then if they're okay, I just go on. But I am watching what I am doing and casually observing in those moments. That is not the word that was used in this passage of Scripture. The word that was used is the third meaning. And this is what it means. To gaze with eyes wide open as looking at something remarkable and with awe. to gaze with eyes wide open as looking at something remarkable and with awe. Now that's how we get to see God. But the crazy thing for me is that's how he gets to see us. That he looks at us with eyes wide open in amazement and in awe. We went to Yellowstone this summer um, that place is amazing. Have you all been? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. And I tell you, we were like looking for animals like it was our job, right? Like we're out the windows. We're like, where are the bears? Where are the bison? Where are these like majestical creatures? And every time we went around a corner or a mountain, like this view would open up before us that would just take our breath away. I'd be like, oh my gosh. 
and I would gaze in awe and wonder at creation. And when we saw these animals, we were just eyes fixed, wide open, gazing with intent on these animals. That's how God is looking at us. And that is how we get to look at God if we live our lives with a pure heart. So we could read this passage more accurately like this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will gaze with eyes wide open and see and be seen by God. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you're like me, you have some questions. Like, wait a second, didn't God say to Moses in the Old Testament that if anyone sees God, they'll die? I'm like, ooh, let's talk about that for a minute. I want to see God, but I'm not quite ready to die yet. But we have to remember, we have to fast forward through to the New Testament and what does Jesus tell Philip? He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And there are a lot of people who saw Jesus and didn't die. It's encouraging. (laughs) Very encouraging. Matthew Poole, who was a famous theologian in the 1600s, he said, For though no mortal eye can see and comprehend the essence of God, yet these men, he's talking about those who have a pure heart, these men shall see by an eye of faith, see and enjoy God in this life, though in a glass more darkly and in the life to come face to face. We get to see and enjoy God in this life. So our reward in living with a pure heart is that we have a deeper intimacy with God and see Him with our spiritual eyes to enjoy and behold Him in this life. The pure-hearted person can see God in nature. They can see God in the Scriptures. They can even see God in the midst of imperfect people. And perhaps if we can't see God all around us, that speaks more to the condition of our heart than we may want to realize. So now we're going to circle back to the word pure. And we went over the three specific ways that it was used in the Bible, in the physical, Levitical, and ethical sense. And we're going to break these down a little bit, okay? And we're going to help create some framework of what it means to live with a pure heart. So physical, oftentimes throughout Scripture, this was signified by fire or like a vine cleansed by pruning or the washing of water. And see, we see this throughout the whole New Testament, specifically in the Gospels and in Revelation. I mean, you want symbology on purity, read the book of Revelation. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. In Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That washing with pure water is what pure is. It is what clean is. We're going to read in Matthew 23, 25 through 26. 
And this is Jesus speaking and he's speaking to the Pharisees and he says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, "'but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence.'" Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that they that the outside of them may be clean also. So this is essentially Jesus rebuking the Pharisees, saying, Hey, you're pretending to live a clean life. But where it actually counts, it's dirty. And don't we as believers sometimes do that? Can we polish ourselves up a little bit and come to church, say the right things, do the right thing? The moment that someone puts a comment on Facebook that we disagree with, the inside is revealed. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, there's no point washing the outside if the inside is dirty. There's no point pretending. Come on guys, nobody's got time to do that anyway. It's exhausting. None of us are perfect. None of us have got it all together. But we must endeavor to live with a clean and pure heart. And then once the inside is taken care of, it will begin to manifest on the outside. In Revelation 22.1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Again, talking about this water of life as a symbol of pure and cleaning, cleansing. This concept of purity through fire and the washing of water is oftentimes what it feels like when we're in the midst of trials and persecution. I mean, it kind of sounds like fun. Ooh, let me get washed with water. (laughs) Right? But then you're in it and you're like, ooh, it's a little abrasive. It's not fun and it's not easy, but it is necessary. Our hearts are revealed when we enter the fires of life. Are we bitter? Are we offended? Do we worship when it's hard? Are our hearts pure to those who judge us, to those who hurt us and persecute us? We covered this when we spoke about blessed are the merciful, but what comes out of us? Mercy or offence? Mercy or judgment? Because it begins to reveal the conditions of our heart when we are under the trials of life. I'm gonna read this story really quickly just because I love it. And I, I heard it once at youth camp. I was telling them last night, Tim, I'm like, Amen to the youth pastors who say these stories that stick even 20 years later. (laughs) I appreciate you. All right, let's read this story. It says, A young man happened upon a silversmith who refined silver and gold from raw materials, sitting in front of his fire. Why do you heat the metal? He asked. The refiner answered, In order to make precious silver, I have to remove all the impurities that make it worth less than it really is. The young man thought about his own life and how one time of fiery suffering or another was required to remove some of the junk in his own life. Why do you sit while you work? Inquired the visitor. The refiner replied, I have to watch the fire closely. Too little heat and the impurities will not be removed. 
too much heat and the precious metals will be destroyed and made worthless. The young man reflected how his life of comfort had brought a sense of complacency that led him to abandon his dreams, settling instead for a humdrum life. But he had also come through painful, fiery times with character and strength that he would not have found elsewhere. Isn't it comforting to know that God sits there in the midst of our trials, making sure that the impurities come out, but that it's not enough to destroy us? Oh, that comforts me. Because sometimes I'm in those moments and I'm like, do you even care? (laughs) He does. He does care. The young man asked the refiner, how do you know when the silver is at the right temperature? And the refiner smiled and answered, I know the purifying is complete when I can see my reflection in the silver. The young man marveled at the answer thinking that is true in my life. My own fiery trials were only complete when my refiner's image could be seen in me. How much of God can people see in you? Okay, so we covered the physical sense of this word and now we're gonna talk a little bit about what it means in the Levitical sense, okay? So clean, the use of which is not forbidden, imparts no uncleanliness. Titus 1, 15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That right there is the very essence of this word Levitical in this sense that we're using the word pure. Your devotion to Christ. Your devotion to Christ. And as the Levites were set apart from God, That is what he is saying. That having a clean and pure heart is like being set apart for God. Set apart for his glory. With your adoration fixed on Jesus. Pure devotion. See, it's not Jesus' end. It's Jesus' period. It's not Jesus' end, our latest political beliefs. It's Jesus, period. It is not Jesus and our thoughts on education. It is not even Jesus and our theology. It's Jesus, period. And should we engage in these areas in education and politics? Yes, we should. But make no mistake, it is not the gospel. It is your opinion and there is a big difference. It has to be Jesus, period. And everything else comes second. That is undefiled adoration to God. That is what a pure heart looks like. That it is not mixed with the things of this world. When we speak about purity in the Levitical sense, it really goes hand in hand with holiness. And when we can grasp this, I actually believe that there is a movement of holiness and purity that will come forth. 
And here is the deal with holiness and purity is that it creates lasting fruit. Not a flash in the pan, but lasting fruit. And I talked to you a little bit about a man named Charles Finney. Here's a great plug for a, I think we've got an equip class coming up, which is Revival History. They're going to be speaking on Finney. Such a great man. Um, I did a couple of sermons a couple of years ago on revival history. And so I spoke about this guy, Charles Finney, and he's just like one of my favorites. But let me tell you a little bit about his revive, the revival that took place under his leadership. The most significant thing about the revival led by Charles blah, blah. The most significant thing about the revival led by Charles Finney was the lasting fruit. Finney's well-documented ministry began in 1830 and netted 100,000 souls for Jesus in one year. I mean, and this is in the 1800s, you guys. So that's a lot more in comparison if you put it side by side to today. Revival then spread to 1,500 towns. And by 1850, the population of the evangelical church grew from 350,000 to 3 million. A remarkable fact is that 85 in every 100 persons professing conversion in Charles Finney's meetings remained true to God throughout their lives. 85%. Even in some of the other great revivals that were happening at the time with the evangelists like Moody, only 30% of those people who converted in those meetings actually led their lives till the end faithful to God. Now 30% in contrast to 85% is a big deal. It's a big deal. But see here, Finney was able to preach the gospel in a way that inspired men and women not only to receive salvation, but to live holy lives. He cleaned up every community that he visited and they stayed that way for at least a generation afterwards. The courts had little to do and the jails stayed empty for years. The whole community was stirred. Religion was the topic of conversation in the house, in the shop, in the office, and on the street. Grog shops were closed. The Sabbath was honored. This is what I love. Sanctuaries were filled with happy worshipers. Happy. Sirius is not a fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) Happy. Holiness brings happiness. It's not a list of rules that we have to abide by. It is this beautiful covenant that we get to have with Jesus that causes this joy to erupt within us when we live a life that is holy. It is only adding to our lives and not robbing from our life. New impulses were given to enterprises and to charities. Regions were transformed and generosity marked cities. He had two men who were intercessors who went before him, Daniel Nash and brother Abel Clary. And they would go before him into cities and they would pray and they would get in contact with Finney and say, it's ripe, it's ready. And Finney would come in with his meetings and people would begin to repent. 
Here's the really cool thing is that he would ride on a train through cities. He wouldn't even get out or stop and people began to repent in that city. What if we saw God? What if we lived with pure hearts and holiness that we could get into the back of an Uber and our Uber driver could say, how do I get saved? What if we went to family reunions and everyone around you was like, what is happening? Your face is glowing. So yeah, I've seen God. It doesn't just change us. It changes the world around us. Still to this day, he is considered one of the greatest revivalists that ever lived. He would see entire towns and regions not only converted, but stay living holy lives set apart for the kingdom. That is the Levitical sense of this word, set apart for the kingdom. I actually believe that, I said this last night, but I truly believe that there is going to be a movement that comes forth out of the millennials and the Gen Zs that are going to actually take charge of this. They are going to grasp this concept of what it looks to live a pure and holy life. And I believe there is going to be another great outpouring of God in our day. And I'm excited. I believe that they're going to be a group of youth who stand with conviction. Who knows that we need conviction today more than we've ever needed conviction before. And I believe it's going to happen. And when we see it, I believe God is going to move mightily, not just in our city, not just in our nation, but across the world. Let's talk about the ethical sense of this word. It means free from corrupt desire, from sin and guilt, free from admixture of what is false, sincere, genuine, blameless, innocent, unstained with guilt, of anything. 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Along with those that call on the Lord with a pure heart. Meaning that those who have a pure heart, they pursue righteousness. They pursue faith, they pursue love, and they pursue peace. 1 Peter 1, 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. An indication of whether we have pure hearts is how well we can love our brothers and sisters. I've got to be honest, I want to slap some Christians sometime. Like, I want to lay hands on them real good. I'm like, people, we don't have time to be fighting one another. We're on the same team. We're on the same team. Let's not worry about the whatever and you're adding on to Jesus. Because that's where the fighting is taking place. Let's just agree that it's Jesus. And let's go and take the world for the kingdom of God. Amen? We don't have time to fight one another. There are a lot of Christians that I don't agree with. A lot of them. But they're on my team. And I'm not going to put my calling upon them and think that they have to look the same. 
as I do. And that's what we often do, don't we? We put our armor upon everyone else and we say, you have to look the same, talk the same, agree with me. Then we are brothers. I got news, you can't choose your family. (laughs) Families are filled with broken and dysfunctional people. Welcome. (laughs) But isn't that one of those moments that we begin to discover what's truly in our heart? When God calls us to love someone that we disagree with. James 1, 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. To keep himself unspotted from the world. That's what it means to be in the world and not of the world. We live with a higher perspective, amen? Amen. We are... Whoa, I don't have much time. We're going to go quick. We recently um, moved 15 minutes east of the airport, and um, it was about a year ago, and I remember we'd been moving that day, and I went to get a glass of water out of the tap uh, faucet, and it looked like water, smelled like water. So I took a drink. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted. I'm like, is someone poisoning this group of people right here? Turns out that it's one of the worst water sources, I think, in America, isn't it? I don't know. Kess and I looked into it at one point because she moved to Cedar Creek too, and we're like, this is disgusting. Even when the um, refrigerator makes ice, and sometimes I forget to get it out of the ice cube tray, and I get it out of the refrigerator tray, like I just have to throw my glass of water away because it tastes so gross. And here's the thing, every other week or so, I have to go and I have to wipe down my refrigerator because the spout that it comes out of in the fridge, it leaves a residue. But it looks like water and it smells like water, but it leaves a residue. And that is what happens when we live sinful lifestyles, when we don't live with pure hearts. You may look like a Christian, you may smell like a Christian. <laughs> I don't know what Christians smell like, but <laughs> but your life will begin to leave a residue. How do we know if we have a pure heart? I'm going to just touch on one of these, but one of the biggest indications: clean heart, clean mouth. Clean heart, clean mouth. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You wanna know what's in your, house, in your heart? Pay attention to what comes out of your mouth. Do you speak kindly to others? I mean, even behind their backs, not just in front of their faces. Do we speak kindly? Do we type kindly? (laughs) I mean, it's an issue. God sees the computer. I'm like, guys, 
The screen is not your hidden life. The screen is who you really are when no one is watching. Because out of your mouth flows the issues of your heart. How do we talk about others when they're not around? Do we gossip? Do we complain? I occasionally complain. I'm just full confession. I'm, get, I'm trying to get better. I complain a lot about people who don't use indicators when they drive. <laughs> I'm working on it. But seriously, can we just use indicators? <laughs> Are your words filled with hope? See, because when they're filled with hope, they actually impart hope to other people as well. 1 John 3, 2 through 3, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. How do we create a pure heart? 1 John 1 through 9, well, 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that is where it begins, with repentance. Repentance wasn't a once and done deal when you got saved. It's a lifestyle. We ask for forgiveness. If you're like me, I need to ask for forgiveness every day. We talked about this before, but we've got to watch what comes out of our mouths. We have to guard our mouths. Proverbs 15, 26, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Begin to speak graciously, and it will begin to purify your heart. Read the word and follow it. You may think that the follow it part isn't really necessary because it's a no-brainer. <laughs> but it's not as common as you may think. <laughs> we have a lot of people who read the Word. But it's no good if it's over here and not in here. <laughs> right? We've actually got to read it and follow it as best as we can. Are we going to make mistakes? Yes, we are. Is there grace and mercy? Yes, there is. But we've got to endeavor every day to live more and more like Jesus. Amen. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. You want to cleanse your heart? Take heed of his word. Don't be deceived. Psalm 24.4-5 He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Surround yourself with people who not only love God, but fear God. And there is a difference. Here's the thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. <laughs> You can take notes if you want. It's profound, I know. <laughs> but when you're deceived, you don't know that you're deceived. And so we've got to surround ourselves by people who love us and love God 
and who want the best for us. Because sometimes they're going to be able to see things that we can't see because we all have blind spots. We all do. It takes a humble person to receive correction and allow it to make them better and not bitter. It takes a humble person to receive correction and allow it to make them better and not bitter. And here is perhaps the most important one of all is love one another. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. First Peter 1, 22. Philippians 1, 9 through 10. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You wanna be pure and blameless for the day of Christ? I do. Then our love must abound more and more. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I want us to repeat this scripture to me. It's going to become my new daily declaration. As you saw, I like declarations. But it's Psalm 51. I just want you to repeat after me and say this. God, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.